Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from Dubai, I'm Eleni Jokos in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Cyber warning, the U.S. accuses China of masterminding huge hack attacks. Olympic ordeal, rising COVID cases and sponsor concern threaten to undermine Tokyo Games. And heading to space, Jeff Bezos tells CNN his historic launch will change him. It's Monday, let's make a move. Welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us. Let's get right into the market action. It's a risk-off Monday for global stocks, rising concerns over the Delta variant and its impact on economies are really hitting the major averages hard. The Dow is the big U.S. loser, pre-market down by some 1.4%. The major European exchanges are down by well over 2% as travel-related firms and other reopening stocks sell off. Energy also pulling back sharply. Brent and U.S. crude are tumbling more than 3%, and major oil stocks are weaker as well. OPEC Plus announced a deal over the weekend to raise supplies by 400 million barrels a day beginning next month with Saudi Arabia and the UAE resolving their recent dispute. That means more oil is heading to markets and that's at a time when investors fear slowing demand. OPEC doesn't see production back to pre-COVID levels until later next year. Hong Kong and Japan down sharply today as well. Tencent, Baidu and Alibaba all fell more than 2.5% after Shanghai court blasted big tech for anti-competitive behavior. Fresh cyber tensions between the U.S. and China remain in focus as well. And that is where we begin our drivers. The U.S. and its allies will today accuse China of overseeing widespread attempts to extort money in cyberspace. It's a dramatic escalation in the Biden administration's attempt to stave off further security breaches. CNN's Alex Marcard joins. Okay, we've just all right. We've just lost Alex, but we will get back to that story. Um, And we are now moving on to our next story. And from one of the biggest events on Earth to the biggest events taking place beyond it. And when I say one of the biggest events on earth, of course, we're talking about the Olympics. Jeff Bezos is only 24 hours away from touching the edge of space itself. As he blasts off uh, with his company, Blue Origin, along with three others, including his brother, CNN caught up with Bezos and his fellow passengers to ask how they're feeling. Take a listen. This journey to space is a dream come true for all of you. So tell me, and Jeff, let's kick it it off with you. How are you all feeling right now? Excited. I'm so excited and curious. You know, everybody who has been to space, every astronaut comes back and they say that it changed them somehow. They see the thin limb of the Earth's atmosphere, realize how fragile the Earth is. They see it's just one planet. 
So I don't know how it's going to change me, but I know it's going to, and I'm excited to find out how. And Wally, did you ever think that this day would actually come? And did you ever imagine that you'd be traveling to space with someone that can't even buy a beer? <laughs> Actually, someday I thought it would happen. I've waited a long time because I went to see uh, Eileen three times on her launch, and I kept thinking, okay, NASA's going to help me co-op. It uh, hasn't happened, but we're going to do it now. I'm very excited. I want to feel how it's going to be in space and doing everything in that capsule that I can do. Rachel, when Wally was in the Mercury 13, uh, they tested her. Uh, all the same tests they gave to the men. She outperformed all of the men. And because we've been training here for tomorrow's flight, I can assure you that she's still outperforming <laughs> all of the men at 82 years old. She can outrun all of us. And uh, she's also just a, uh, a whirlwind of energy, a role model for determination and resilience and positivity. And, you know, it, 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 she's, she's, she's amazing. She's putting you all to shame, huh? For sure. I know. I knew you're too right. <laughs> now, you guys, humans have never flown in this capsule before. So you guys are essentially guinea pigs here. Does that make any of you guys nervous at all? No. I'm not nervous. I'm incredibly excited. I've, I've had the opportunity to be uh, down here for uh, a number of the launches that have happened with this vehicle, and it's performed, uh, the, the capsule performed flawlessly uh, 15 times in a row. Uh, just, you know, can't wait to get in there and, uh, you know, go for a ride in number 16. It's going to be incredibly exciting. Now, Jeff, there have been a chorus of critics saying that these uh, flights to space are, you know, just joy rides for the wealthy and that you should be spending your time and your money and energy trying to solve problems here on Earth. So what do you say to those critics? Well, I say they're largely right. We have to do both. You know, we have there we have lots of problems in the here and now on Earth and we need to work on those. And we always need to look to the future. We've always done that as a, as a species, as a civilization. We have to do both. And uh, what our job at Blue Origin is to do and what this uh, space tourism mission is about is having a mission where we can practice so much that we get really good at operational space travel, more like a commercial airliner and less like what you think of as traditional space travel. If we can do that, then we'll be building a road to space for the next generations to do amazing things there. And those amazing things will solve problems here on Earth. And uh, by the way, maybe it'll be Oliver. He's 18 years old. Maybe he'll, maybe that'll be. Maybe he'll found a space company that uses the infrastructure that this generation is building right now. So the real answer is yes. We have to do both. And Jeff, last question. You know the timing of this flight. About two weeks after you stepped down as CEO of Amazon, is that because of the inherent risks of this flight? No. I, w I could have done this flight as, uh, as CEO of Amazon and it would have been fine. Uh, uh, so I'm, first of all, I, we really believe this flight is safe. We wouldn't, you know, people say, I, I had friends say to me, how about, how about the second flight or the third flight? Why do you have to go on the first flight? And the point is, look, we know the vehicle's safe. If the vehicle is not safe for me, then it's not safe for anyone. And we have never raced, we've never been, our motto is gradatum ferociter, step by step, ferociously, our mascot is the tortoise. We have taken this one step at a time. We're ready.
Well, we are all ready to watch you take this historic journey. Good luck, you guys. The world will be watching. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank Thank you very much. Well, I tell you, I would be really nervous. Uh, Kristen Fisher is by the launch site in Van Horn, Texas. Um, tell me about what people are thinking and feeling. I'm sure it must be so exciting, but we know the inherent risks, but we also know what this means for space travel. Yes, and you heard Jeff Bezos talking about those inherent risks, but he feels like this spacecraft is very safe. And and so do the people here in West Texas, because look at where we are. I mean, this desert in West Texas is about as remote as it gets. And that is exactly what you want when you are testing and trying to fly rockets into space. And all of this land, about 300,000 acres of it, uh, is owned by Jeff Bezos. And so Blue Origin's New Shepard reusable launch system is what they're going to be flying on tomorrow. It has had 15 consecutive successful test flights. But the big deal tomorrow is this is the first time that humans have ever flown on it. And of course, Jeff Bezos himself, the richest man in the world, is going to be one of the four crew members on board. The other crew members are his brother, Mark, Uh, And if all goes according to plan, the youngest person to ever fly in space is also going to be on board, 18-year-old Oliver Damon. And then you also have, of course, 82-year-old Wally Funk. She is truly a legend in the aerospace industry, uh, a pilot. She's taught many uh, students how to fly over the years. And if she flies, if all goes according to plan tomorrow, she will be the oldest person to ever fly in space, former member of the Mercury 13 program who trained to fly in space back in the 1950s but never flew because she is because she is a woman. So uh, really just an incredible crew that's going to be launching here tomorrow. If all goes according to plan. And as of now, all systems are go 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Eleni? And she definitely has the most energy out out of all of them. So uh, we'll be keeping a close watch. Thank you so much, Kristen. Great to have you on. All right. So we'd like to now return to our top story. And a reminder, the U.S. and its allies will today accuse China of overseeing widespread attempts to extort money in cyberspace. It's a dramatic escalation in the Biden administration's attempt to stave off further security breaches. CNN's Alex McCart now joins us from Washington, D.C. Alex, we know we're going to hear details today, but overall, this just creates more tensions in an already strained relationship between two world powers, the U.S. and China. Yeah, Lainey, we're already getting a lot of details. The the U.S. is banding together with some of its closest allies, the European Union, NATO, Japan, Australia, and others, uh, to essentially call China out for their misbehavior uh, in cyberspace. So much of the focus of the Biden administration so far has been on Russia, uh, those government hackers, those criminal hackers, and the attacks that they've been carrying out. But what the Biden administration is looking to, to highlight here is really what China has been up to, which, frankly, in the long run, when you speak to intelligence and national security officials, it is China that is the much bigger, greater Uh, the much greater economic and national security threat in the long run. So the Biden administration and all of their partners today is saying that China was responsible for the massive Microsoft exchange hack that was uh, exposed, revealed uh, earlier this year in March. That affected tens of thousands of computers around the world. And then more broadly, they're saying that China does continue to carry out its malicious uh, cyber activities, uh, cyber espionage, but there is a, a there's a, there's a twist. They have been hiring the Ministry of State Security, which is the civilian intelligence agency, has been hiring 
criminal contract hackers who have also taken to carrying out financial attacks, ransomware, um, and, and, uh, and other types of financial attacks for profit, uh, for gain. We have seen, according to the Biden administration and, and their allies, uh, ransomware attacks demanding millions of dollars in payment, uh, including to one, uh, of one major U.S. company, which the, the administration has not revealed. This change, this, this new tactic, if you will, is something that a senior administration official uh, called really eye-opening and surprising. But, Eleni, there are no punitive measures per se. Uh, there's no punishment. There are no sanctions being rolled out. What the administration is hoping is that through this collective condemnation by all of these countries, uh, that they can try to get China uh, to change its behavior. Eleni? Thank you so very much, Alex. Right, we head now to Japan, uh, where more athletes have tested positive for COVID-19 in the Olympic Village, just days before the Summer Games begin. Meanwhile, major Olympic sponsor Toyota saying it will not air any ads related to the Games. We've got Selena Wang live for us in Tokyo with the latest. Let's start off with the sheer numbers that we're talking about here, because I guess the question is, what does this do to the games themselves if you have athletes testing positive? Well, Lenny, IOC officials are saying that they were expecting this number of positive COVID-19 cases that they can't guarantee there won't be infections among Olympic participants. But what matters is the response. And now we're up to 58 positive COVID-19 cases here in Japan linked to the Tokyo Games. You've got athletes, you've got officials, contractors testing positive for COVID-19. And we've learned that the first U.S. Olympic team member here in Japan has tested positive. We've learned it's an alternate on the women's U.S. gymnastics team who tested positive at a pre-training camp in Japan. Now, within the Olympic Village, however, there have also been a growing number of infections. A Czech beach volleyball player, as well as two members of the South African soccer team, and now 21 close contacts of those positive cases of the South African soccer team are now also in isolation. And Eleni, it's critical that these cases don't spread in the Olympic Village. This is densely populated. A lot of athletes up to 11,000 athletes will be living there. And I took a visit there. There's a lot of social distancing rules, reminders to wear masks. Athletes are asked to dine alone, not the place for fun and celebration that it usually is. But officials are repeating that they believe they can keep these cases contained separate from the Japanese public. But the people here are not convinced. You've got just 20% vaccinations and a lot of skepticism with the games just days away. You know, I mean, looking at what the Olympics actually means, and usually it's about the messaging, it's the marketing, it is about the sponsorships, it's about social cohesion. This is going to be so fundamentally different. What's really interesting here is that Toyota is also not going to be playing any ads. So, I mean, in terms of what the, it's going to look like from a sponsorship perspective, from a marketing perspective, what are you hearing? Eleni, I've actually been speaking to Olympic partner sponsors, businesses here for weeks for a story that I'm working on about this very issue. These sponsors are in an incredibly precarious, delicate situation. Normally, the Olympics are a marketing bonanza. This is a golden opportunity to boost your corporate image. But instead, a lot of Japanese companies are worried about brand damage for being associated with the games in which so many Japanese people are fiercely opposed to them. So you mentioned Toyota. There are many other companies here that have had to scale back, scrap 
plans. It's also because of the ban on spectators. It doesn't make sense for them to have these big promotional events if nobody can go to the events and attend anyways. And I think there's a lot of frustration as well among these sponsors by how last minute a lot of these decisions have been made, whether it's on spectators, alcohol, so many other things. And Eleni, these sponsors in Japan have put in a record $3 billion to support these games. And it is really notable that Toyota is not airing these Olympic-related advertisements because Toyota is the highest tier level of sponsorship. They are a global Olympic top sponsor. They pay big bucks to be associated with the five rings and what it means. Eleni? Yeah. Thank you so much, Selena. Great to see you. You're watching First Move still ahead. Some are calling it Freedom Day. Others are approaching it more with a sense of fear. England relaxes almost all its COVID restrictions, even as infections surge. And the country whose capital was once known as the Paris of the Middle East is now in economic freefall. We speak to a major player in the Lebanese finance industry about the challenges gripping the nation. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. We're live today from Dubai. U.S. stocks remain on target for a sharp pullback with futures currently near session lows. Take a look at these numbers. Lots of concern over rising COVID cases globally, as well as how central banks will react to rising inflation. Investors flocking today to save haven assets like U.S. Treasuries, Benchmark 10, yields near five-month lows a little earlier. Now, the U.S. dollar, another safe haven winner with the dollar index at around four-month highs. A stronger dollar has the potential to pressure U.S. corporate profits as well as emerging market economies like Lebanon. No government, an almost unprecedented economic crisis mass protests, a pandemic, and ongoing consequences of a deadly explosion. Any one of these would be a significant problem for any country. In Lebanon, all of them are a reality. People took to the streets in different parts of the country last week after Prime Minister-designate Saad Hariri stepped down, having failed to agree on forming the government with the country's president. Ten Lebanese soldiers got injured in clashes in Tripoli. Nasser Saidi is a former Lebanese economy minister and now founder and president of Nasser Saidi and Associates. He joins us via Skype from Beirut. So really good to have you with us. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time. Thank you. You're in Beirut right now. Could you give me a sense? Could you give me a sense of, of the situation on the ground? Um, you know, the news of hyperinflation and prices shooting through the roof that must be devastating for any person living in Beirut right now and in Lebanon right now. It is. And uh, you've got fuel shortages. People are queuing up for two or three hours to get some fuel. Uh, there are medicine for shortages. Hospitals are running out of necessary medicines, uh, including in some cases oxygen. Uh, there's a loss of water, electricity. So all basic utilities are breaking down. And the toll that you mentioned in terms of inflation, we got inflation in excess of 160% per annum. The pound has lost 90% of its value. So in effect, I mean, just so that people understand, along with all these crises, uh, people have lost 80% of their deposits, of their financial wealth. They cannot access their deposits in the banks. They are effectively frozen. Um, they cannot transfer money abroad. They cannot even transfer money, in some cases, internally. 
So you've now got a cash economy at a time of rising inflation. So you can imagine yeah. uh, what it means for most people trying to live. People are now living on the streets. Yeah. Uh, they're rummaging through the rubbish. I can imagine. Uh, it's devastating. Yeah. It's devastating. It must be really hard for you, having been in government before and understanding just the complexities of the Lebanese uh, political environment. So let's just touch on that. Um, you know, we're 20 months into the crisis and you're sitting with a situation where there's a political gridlock. You're in economic freefall. Um, what, you know, it seems that Lebanon now is on the path to further chaos. How would you describe the situation right now? And to what extent does the political environment have to do with all of what we're seeing on the economic front? Well, what you're dealing with um, is totally irresponsible, but also incompetent political class, but also a great deal of corruption, cronyism. They have effectively captured the state. Um, they are driving Lebanon into a failed state. So imagine Lebanon, which was a middle income, rising towards upper middle income country, now reduced to a Bangladesh. If, if I look at um, the, the salaries, say, of a, of a soldier, um, that is now around $65 per, per, per month. Um, that's a massive decline. Minimum wage is below that in Bangladesh. And in the meantime, the politicians, in terms of the dysfunctional politics, yeah. don't really want to put in place a government. All they're hoping for is that they will be able to tide things over until the next elections. That's what they're hoping for right now. So, and they're going to... So, let's, they're yeah, using, so in terms in of the elections Lebanon and the prime the minister... Uh, mm. You know, the, the, the prime minister, Saad Hariri, resigning. He was trying to put a cabinet yes. together. It was rejected for the third time in, in, in just a, a few months. So who's really in charge right. here? Because the erosion that you speak of, plunging... Lebanon into a level that we've never seen. And we know the World Bank is saying this is one of the top three economic crises that we've experienced since the, the mid-19th yes. century. It kind of shows you just the incredible erosion of wealth and quality of life. So if there's a political solution here, why hasn't it been put together yet? Because you're, you're talking about a corrupt uh, political class. Um, it's uh, effectively a mafia. Uh, they got their money out. They got their money out of the country. And so they're sitting pretty. The rest of the population, of course, is being constantly impoverished and their financial wealth completely eroded. I mentioned an 80% haircut. This has not happened anywhere in economic or financial history. The World Bank mentioned maybe it's the third biggest financial crisis. In fact, it's the first financial crisis, because real income per capita has declined over 40% and still declining. I mean, I don't know if people can imagine what that means, but it's a 40% real decline in income. So forget the Great Depression, which most people think of. This is multiple times that. Wow. So, Mr. Saidi, you know, France is saying that they're looking to sanction in, in individuals in the country. Yes. Um, we know that there's been sanctions being thrown around as an option. What is going to save Lebanon right now to force leaders or politicians to take the right steps? And can we even see a reversal of, of the economic demise that we've seen? This is going to take years to reverse. Yes, of course. Look, the international community, in my view, has to do four things. 
they've got to provide humanitarian aid to Lebanon. That, that is essential. Uh, food, medicines, and the like, education. But they also have to make it accountable so that they cannot give it to government. Second, they need to make sure that elections happened in 2022 in full integrity, right? So, so there is monitoring that. Third, they need to impose sanctions on politicians and policymakers because they literally destroyed Lebanon. And fourth, I think, to answer your question, you need to move to a new government as quickly as possible that will sign and negotiate an agreement with the IMF. What Lebanon needs is a massive equivalent of a Marshall Plan, uh, something to the tune of about $75 billion. What I would like to say is that the crisis that has happened over the past 20 months was man-made. This is not a natural disaster. This is a deliberate policy to impoverish people so they import less, they consume less. What we need to do, and we know how to do it, we know exactly what the reforms are, and we actually have the people. We have the economists, we have competent people who can actually make this happen. It's going to take time, so it's, this is going to take five to 10 years, maybe, basically, yeah. to recover. But what you need to do is to form a government as yeah. quickly as possible. And that means the international community Mr. has Saidi. got to knock their heads together, impose sanctions, and force them to form a government. Thank you very much uh, for your insights. Thank and you. of course, as you say, a lot of pain will come with reforms. Uh, and of course, it's going to take yes. a long time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, let's move on now. Um, and we are going to the market open. And that is coming up next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Eleni Jarkas. We're live from Dubai today. Let's take a look at the markets and global market weakness remains a major story this Monday. U.S. stocks have opened sharply lower on rising fears of COVID variants. As you can see there, the Dow Jones is down one and a half percent. Airline and cruise industry stocks are getting hit particularly hard. They were big losers in Friday's session as well. Companies in the news today include the Universal Music Group, a SPAC controlled by billionaire Bill Ackman is pulling its deal to buy 10% of the firm because of U.S. government objections. Robin Hood is one step closer to its expected IPO launch. The popular trading app announcing today that it hopes to price shares at between $38 and $42 apiece, raising some $2.3 billion for the firm and valuing it at around $35 billion. And shares of Zoom are zooming lower after announcing a deal to buy cloud software firm Five9 for more than $14 billion. This is Zoom's largest purchase ever. Five9 shares rallying on the back of that news, as you can see, up almost 5%. All right, let's take a closer look at today's market weakness. And everything to do with the market. We've got Brian Levitt joining me now. He is the global market strategist at Invesco. Brian, great to have you with us. I mean, look, we know that this is going to be a volatile ride and the cycles are going to be fascinating as we navigate through uh, COVID-19 and what the pandemic means for uh, the markets. But at the end of the day, we've seen a really positive outcome when it comes to what we're expecting on the growth front in the U.S., but are there risks at play here that we need to look out for? Yeah, of course there's risks. I mean, I would categorize this as still being early in the cycle. The reality is, though, we had a recovery phase that was faster than usual. We started to move into an expansion phase, and, and now we're slowing. And the reason we're slowing is a variety of different reasons. One, 
uh, Delta variant, two, monetary policy that's likely to start normalizing over time, and three, we may be looking at a slowdown in fiscal spending, although that remains to be seen. So all of that together has an economy that's slowing. The market had been up uh, a substantial amount, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's moving as a result of this expected slowdown. Now, that doesn't mean the cycle ends. That doesn't mean that this is the end of the equity move. It just means that we're, we're recalibrating for a weaker economic backdrop. Yeah. I mean, look, I find the inflationary scenarios playing out in the U.S. quite interesting. And here's the thing, right? You've stimulated your way out of this crisis. You put money in the hands of average people. So that means an increase in money supply. I guess you need some heat to be able to grow out of this. Um, what are you expecting in terms of monetary policy? And you're talking about a normalization of rates. The last time that happened, it wasn't such a great idea. It happened too soon. It created a lot of fear in the markets. Yeah, I'm in that same camp. I mean, all of this, if you look at the 10-year move, which had gotten up to around 175 and this move down closer to 120, has all, all really coincided with the Federal Reserve starting to talk about tapering asset purchases and bringing forward interest rate hikes. So I think the market called the Fed out on this as a policy mistake. And and you, you um, astutely mentioned the past years like 2015 or 2018, when the Federal Reserve tried to raise interest rates, and it just didn't work. And this time is probably likely to be no different. So any type of drawdown in the market here is the result of policy uncertainty or some type of uncertainty around the Delta variant. In my opinion, ultimately, the Federal Reserve is going to have to back off its tightening stance in order to once again steepen the yield curve some, uh, alleviate some of the strength of the dollar. I think that's coming. And, and I think that that extends the cycle. But right now, what we're dealing with is, is a market that has a lot of uncertainty around monetary policy and uncertainty around this Delta variant. So where do you go? Do you go where it's safe? Do you look for the next big thing? I know that tech stocks were sort of the shining stars of the pandemic. So what are you doing right now in terms of sector? Yeah, I would say you start to move a bit away. I mean, if you were overweight, this recovery, deep value oriented trade, then then I think you you start to move away from that. I I suspect we're heading back into another slow economic backdrop that can go on for a long time. And in that environment with a, a relatively flat yield curve, the growthier parts of the market tends to outperform. Now, don't get me wrong. If, if we have days like this that persist for a little or this is the start of of a you know garden variety drawdown or even market correction, then you know, you'd, if you're that tactical, you'd want to be more defensive um, oriented. But if you're looking out over the next couple of years for an economy that's probably going to move more into a slowdown regime, then, then that's going to be more of the growth stocks and, and the tech oriented companies that, that had outperformed largely from the middle of 2011 through 2019. Thank you so much, Brian. Great to see you. That was Brian Levitt, Thank you. global market strategist at Invesco. Right, so oil prices are falling after a resolution is found to a dispute that threatened uh, the future of OPEC. The UAE has agreed to the OPEC Plus proposal to increase the supply of oil. Matt Egan has the details on this. Great to see you, Matt. Here's the thing. You're increasing supply at a time where demand is still kind of not back where it should be. So what does this mean for oil prices? 
Well, Eleni, uh, I do think the oil market is is a bit concerned. Um, obviously, financial markets are down um, across the board this morning, but uh, oil is taking a, a pretty big hit. And I do think there are some concerns that perhaps uh, OPEC Plus is, is moving too quickly to add back supply, given these um, elevated concerns in recent days about the Delta variant, which, of course, could hurt uh, demand for uh, gasoline and for jet fuel and diesel. Uh, but big picture, I do think that this is good news for drivers and really anyone who's hurt by higher energy prices. I mean, OPEC Plus has finally agreed, after a bit of drama, to add um, supply that a lot of analysts were saying was really needed here. Uh, this surprise a Sunday meeting by OPEC, OPEC Plus, they agreed to add 400,000 barrels per day each month beginning in August. Um, the group is going to keep adding barrels uh, until it fully unwinds those unprecedented cuts that were implemented last spring when oil went negative. Uh, OPEC Plus expects to get back to pre-COVID levels uh, by September of 2022. The other key here is that the overall agreement is going to be extended uh, until the end of next year. And this was really a hard-fought deal. Uh, as you mentioned, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, they had to overcome some differences here. Uh, uh, they had to uh, allow the UAE to boost its baseline level. Uh, and they also said that Saudi Arabia, Russia, uh, Kuwait, and Iraq are also going to increase those so-called reference uh, levels. Uh, the last point here, Eleni, is that you know this is a big deal for OPEC Plus as a group. Uh, there were some concerns that this infighting uh, could lead to uh, chaos, where uh, basically it was every man for themselves, and they would have you know started pumping whatever they wanted to. And and I do think that uh, the fact that they reached a deal removes the risk of a, of an all-out price war. All right, Matt, thank you very much. And Brent crude right now down over 3%. Appreciate your insights. All right, so coming up on First Move, some are calling it Freedom Day in England. What it means for the country's economy as COVID-19 cases continue to surge, that's up next. The British government calls it Freedom Day in England. Prime Minister Boris Johnson ending most mandatory COVID-related restrictions. But the mood is cautious as COVID-19 cases spike there. The Prime Minister himself forced into isolation because of contact with the COVID carrier after initially trying to claim an exemption from the rules. Full Black is live in London uh, for us uh, with a little bit more. Listen, Boris Johnson a couple of weeks ago said that it'll be left up to pubs and restaurants to make a decision about whether they're going to be using the app, whether they're going to try and mandate mask wearing. But I can see you in the streets of London. So what are you seeing right now? We're talking about a full on opening of the economy and no one adhering to any kind of rules because there aren't any, right? Yeah, in theory, there are no rules. There's now just guidance. It comes down to personal responsibility. What that means in practice, Eleni, is that it it is up to employers, to organisations, to individuals themselves to decide uh, what is right. In the sense of business and employers, it's a difficult job. They now have to determine what is best for their employees, for their customers, and they have to try and enforce that 
without the weight of law behind them. So, in a sense, freedom, but also a lot more responsibility. But that's the idea. The idea behind this is to do away with the rules, allow people to choose for themselves, and so hopefully create an opportunity where there can be more economic activity as well. All of these things are wanted. The question is whether or not now is the right time, because there is also a further complication for business in particular, and that is the circumstance that the UK and England finds itself in is one where the virus is running hot, where infection rates are very, very high. What that also means is increased absenteeism, particularly at the moment when there remains a policy of people who are identified as contacts, close contacts, of those who test positive. Well, they also have to isolate as well. This is the so-called pingdemic that is being described uh, in the British press uh, at the moment. And it is said to be hitting some businesses, some industries particularly hard, with hundreds of thousands of people being contacted by the track and trace uh, system here and told, Uh, to isolate, even though they themselves may not believe that they are infected, even though they may be, for example, fully vaccinated. This policy remains in place for another month or so, and the fear is this could be a real dent uh, towards economic activity here. So, as with so much about the current situation in England and the UK, nothing is straightforward. There is no clear good news, but the government has decided to persist with this policy to drive in to Freedom Day, if you like, even though it is doing so in circumstances that are very different to that which it initially predicted doing so. Uh, the infection rates are incredibly high. That's not how it was supposed to be. And that what that also means is that the outcomes are really uncertain. Eleni. Thank, thank you so very much, Phil. All right, next on First Move, from shaking up the retail space to shaking up travel into space itself. Jeff Bezos is just a day away from the journey of a lifetime. What it means for the future of space exploration, next. Countdown to launch. In less than 24 hours, Jeff Bezos will join a very exclusive club of billionaires by blasting off into space. He's scheduled to rocket to the edge of space with his company Blue Origin. Also on board will be his brother Mark, as well as 18-year-old Oliver Damon and 82-year-old aviator Wally Funk. They will be the youngest and oldest people ever to travel into space. It will come just nine days after Richard Branson lifted off with uh, Virgin Galactic. Rachel Crane has more. Preparing for a rocket-powered 2,300-mile-per-hour excursion to the edge of space, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos will take his astral journey on the new Shepard, a reusable rocket developed by his company Blue Origin. I want to go on this flight because it's a thing I've wanted to do all my life. It's an adventure. It's a big deal for me. But more than just an adventure, New Shepard was designed to shuttle up to six paying customers more than 62 miles above the Earth's surface for a few moments of weightlessness and panoramic views, earning the flyers their astronaut wings. While the rocket, which is fully autonomous, has flown 15 test flights, none of them have had humans on board. Until now. Bezos's brother, Mark Bezos, will accompany him, and 82-year-old Wally Funk. Wally! Good to see you. I know. And I brought you one. Funk, a pilot who trained for NASA's Mercury program, but was denied the opportunity to go to space because of her gender. Right for you, right here. 28 million, looking for 29 million. An additional seat was auctioned off with the winning bid ringing in at $28 million. 
The winner has since had scheduling conflicts, according to Blue Origin. So 18-year-old Oliver Damon is now filling that seat, kicking off the company's commercial operations. So if all goes to plan, both the oldest and youngest person ever to travel to space will be on this flight. The astronauts have been going through their training at Launch Site 1, which includes a flight simulator that we got to experience. The company says they have two additional crewed flights scheduled for 2021. Oh, oh, wow, that's a thud. 7,500 people participated in the auction. What does that tell you guys about the market for these flights? People have global interest in coming to fly to space. I think it's part of the human experience of wanting to explore, wanting to see new perspectives. And so we think that our flight on Tuesday is really the next step. Bezos's flight comes just nine days after Virgin Galactic founder Richard Branson took his trip to space. And with the future at the forefront, Bezos's ideas go much deeper than space tourism. This is the blue planet, and this is the planet that we have to save. This is the good planet. We will move all heavy industry off Earth, all polluting industry will be moved off Earth, and Earth will end up zoned residential. But for now, Bezos will experience his ultimate adventure while helping propel us into the future of space travel. Our next guest knows the value of space all too well. Chad Anderson is the managing partner of Space Capital, an early stage venture capital firm that invests exclusively in space-based technologies. Uh, Chad, thank you very much for joining us. Look, I get it. It's going to be about the human experience, getting to the edge of space. But it's actually more than that. It's about the infrastructure. It's about the data collection. Branson was the first to get there, but who's going to have the longer long-term impact, would you say, the biggest long-term impact? Yeah, this is certainly a very important step. I mean, we now have two suborbital vehicles that have been privately funded and privately developed that are taking humans to uh, to suborbital space. And they're joining SpaceX, which is taking, um, you know, has taken NASA to orbit twice now and is launching um, fully commercial missions, multiple fully commercial missions later this year. So there has been... um, uh, a lot of comparison between uh, Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, given that they're both launching um, within nine days of each other. But I think, you know, uh, Blue Origin's ambitions are much more aligned with SpaceX, um, although progress is a bit of a different story. You know, Blue Origin is this is one um, yeah. step for them, but they're also looking into developing larger rockets, um, orbital habitats as um Bezos just said in your interview, you know, he's really focused on moving um, heavy industry off Earth, which is much more aligned with with SpaceX in terms of their greater ambitions, larger vehicles with Starship, Starlink, going to the moon and Mars. That's exciting, right? Taking heavy industry off Earth. What a a thought. I want to talk numbers here. So we know huge uh, spending on R&D, on infrastructure, building um, the, the ships. So when you're saying you're an early investor in this, what kind of margins are we talking about here? And, we, we, you know, and the one um, number that I, I came across is that you know, it costs around $2,500 per kilogram in terms of um, to, to get a ride into orbit. Um, and when we were talking about this a few years ago, we were talking about $20,000 per kilogram. So it seems that prices are coming down, but the reality is here yeah, you need to spend big to be able to get there. Yeah, prices have fallen precipitously, and that's really been driven by SpaceX. 
Um, they lowered the, the cost to get to Orbit, but they also brought transparency to the market through basically just publishing their pricing, which was unheard of um, uh, before. So most of the activity, I mean, we've been, we've been operating in, in space for decades, but really it's, it's a new category for investors that's really emerged over the last 10 years based on this increased accessibility. And so the, um, the rockets and the satellite hardware, all of this is very important infrastructure, but the real opportunity for investors is in the data that's coming from those satellites. Um, and so that's, as early stage investors, that's really what we're focused on. Starlink, OneWeb, Amazon's project Kuiper, these low earth orbit satellites that are connecting the planet, um, the people who don't have access to, to broadband internet. We're not investing in those multi-billion dollar capital expenditure product, you know, uh, products and projects, but we are in, uh, looking for the types of data plays that are going to be built on top of that infrastructure. Okay, so let's talk about the fact that we've seen, um, in terms of investment into space, the quarterly report that you've just come out with showing that Q2 was uh, the fourth largest quarter on record for total investment into the space economy. And then does that then cut across the travel element, the data element, and all the other you know, branches of what we're looking at when it comes to the space economy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way that we view the world is in terms of the infrastructure, the distribution and the applications um, that are built on top of that infrastructure. And this was the fourth uh, largest quarter in record in terms of private equity investment into the space economy, but the largest overall for infrastructure investment. And so we're really monitoring closely to see um, the types of applications that are going to be built on top of of this unprecedented new infrastructure. And that includes, you know, the human spaceflight element, which is really important in terms of helping the public to understand the progress that's being made here and the level of progress. Um, but we're really interested in, in um, Earth observation, for example, um, the data that is, that is being collected by satellites, yeah. um, developing an unprecedented amount of data about our planet that is allowing us to do business over the horizon yeah. and is the invisible backbone of our global economy. All right. Chad, thank you very much. Um, we will catch up very soon. Thank you for your insights. All right. So CNN will have full coverage of the launch scheduled for 9 a.m. on Tuesday. If you're watching in New York, that would be 5, 5 p.m. here in Dubai. That's it for the show. Thank you so very much for joining us. I'm Eleni Jokos. Connect the world with Becky Anderson up next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.